You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Lacrosse Boots. The Lacrosse Alpha Burley Pro fears nothing, not the cold, not the harsh terrain, not the challenges of a grueling hunt. The Alpha Burley Pro comes in a variety of camo patterns and a variety of insulation options as well. Check out lacrossefootwear.com, Lacrosse Boots, done right since 1897. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine fingered host, Dan Johnson. Oh, yeah, buddy! Coming in hot on a Monday, and I'll tell you why I am freaking pumped because I leave for my elk hunt on Friday. Uh, Meeting my buddy Ryan, we're packing in a vehicle and we are heading west. We're gonna climb some mountains, we're gonna try to shoot some elk and we're going to thoroughly enjoy ourselves in the process. So I know Ryan's excited, Uh, I know I'm excited and uh, we're meeting up with another buddy of mine, Adam Parr. He is the host of the Transition Wild podcast on the Sportsman's Nation podcast network. So, dude, I think I'm ready. Um, when I get out there, the mountain's going to kick my ass. But uh, other than that, the bow's shooting good. The gear part, I just have to pick up a couple more items. Other than that, I'm good to go. I am, uh, I'm excited. Uh, I'm jacked. I know my wife probably isn't as excited because she is going to uh, have the kids solo. <laughs> Three really annoying kids no I love my kids but it, it's gonna be a handful for her I really appreciate uh, re- really appreciate it so um, yeah looking forward to that uh, this podcast is brought to you by Exodus trail cameras and uh, the nine finger Chronicles podcast is brought to you by Exodus trail cameras Exodus trail cameras exodusoutdoorgear.com check them out they're badass now what do I want to say today's podcast man uh, it's an it's going to be, it's going to blow your mind. Well, not really. I don't know. It could. But today we're going to be talking with a gentleman named Graham Van Dusen. And uh, 
Graham is going to BS with us for a little bit. Uh, We're going to talk about how he hunts, where he hunts, and all that good stuff. So, a great hunter profile podcast mixed with uh, a BS session type podcast. Uh, All the good stuff wrapped into one podcast, and you're going to find it here. So, but before we get to that, right, it is... It is tree stand hanging time of year, and I have been an advocate for this since day one to be wearing your safety harness. I end every podcast with wear your damn safety harness, right? Because I feel that is a big part of hunting that a lot of people just don't care about. Um, And I think it's something that uh, all hunters need to be safe while up in the tree, and uh, that's why I've partnered with hunter safety systems to basically express that on a on a larger scale saying you know hey everybody needs to wear their uh their safety harness whether they're you know whether they're setting up a tree tearing it down hunting whatever uh go check out huntersafetysystems.com they they have a variety of harnesses whether you know, you, you like it light or you like a vest or you like a full harness or everything. They got it all. Uh, and they come in a variety of camo options as well. So check out Hunter Safety Systems and yeah, keep it safe, right? All right, ladies and gentlemen, enough BS. Let's get into today's podcast with Graham Van Dusen. All right, on the podcast with me today, Mr. Graham Van Dusen. What's up, man? Oh, not a whole lot. Dan, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. First question of the entire podcast. Are you getting jacked up for whitetail season? Absolutely jacked. I've started putting some cameras out on some local areas here. Um, I have some cameras up in Kansas, too, that are that are milking up some pictures right now. I'm hoping to get up there and check them soon, but more than likely won't be able to check them until I go up there and hunt, but I'm jacked. I'd be more jacked if it wasn't. 98 degrees but i'm I'm, I'm jacked anyways that's crazy because right now in iowa uh man the last two days have been no humidity gorgeous like highs in the mid to low 70s and it it's just absolutely gorgeous outside you can stand in the sun and not get hot but then you were telling me you've been outside all day in 98 degrees man no thank you and uh it's uh so 98 today is actually our our cool day um i think two days ago it hit 105 so uh it's it's pretty miserable around here man and i've talked to some guys where you lived before and it really just it's always miserable outside you just kind of learn to live with it right (laughs) yeah you just get used to it and then when you go other places and it's nice weather you're like why do i live where i live (laughs) Well, let's yeah. let's talk about that. Why don't you tell everybody where you're from and what do you do for a living? I live in Longview, Texas, which is uh, halfway between Dallas, Texas, and Shreveport, Louisiana. Um, I part own a timber business and logging company with my dad here, so I'm self-employed in the timber and logging industry around here. Right. Okay. So that means you're outside obviously uh a lot and yeah outside a lot yeah working on all of all these different properties do all the properties that you work on have deer on them yeah eastern texas and we also work some in the western part of louisiana there the deer density is 
pretty good in most areas and there's there's really there's deer everywhere um kind of just spread around just the way everything is there's nothing to really concentrate deer um so there's just really just kind of deer everywhere uh deer and wild pigs which i wish we didn't have any but the the pigs around here are terrible too so that gives us something to do in the off season but yeah the deer spread out everywhere it's a it's a good place for a for a deer hunter in east texas okay now do you do any of those machine gun helicopter pig hunts (laughs) i would like to they do that more in like the central and western part of texas um in East Texas, it's so timbered. We there's no way to be able to see them from a helicopter. Oh, but I'd gotcha. love to go out to West Texas and and uh, and get it done one day. I've I know people that have done it, and uh, it's an adventure for sure. It looks fun. I've heard it's kind of expensive, but I'd like to do it one day. Kind of like dove hunting in Argentina or something. Right, right. I mean, so hogs. I mean, I've talked to some people throughout the uh, throughout the entire South, and hogs are just as bad where you're at as they are everywhere else. Oh yeah. Um, so it's, it's terrible. I've killed, I don't know. I think last year I killed close to 40 pigs just during deer season. Jesus. Um, Yeah. It's, it's an epidemic. You know, they breed, I don't even know how many times a year and it's, it's really bad around here. Um, Texas is actually working on some stuff within the within the legal system to try to figure out a way for us to start poisoning them, you know, that wouldn't hurt anything else. Um, but there's just not enough pull behind it. It, They're not damaging the crops in most areas enough to where the, I guess the lobbying is strong to strong enough to pull it through. But I wish they could, cause it, it would help the deer hunting a lot because they eat, you know, around here in Texas, you can bait the hogs will eat all your corn and they'll knock your feeders. I've had multiple feeders just straight knocked over by hogs, and then they'll just sit there and eat it till it's all gone. So it's a it's a mess. I wish we didn't have them. Right. So you know, you said forty hogs a year just in. Um, during that the- was during last. Yeah, that was just during hunting season, during deer season, while how, I was deer hunting. Right. How many a year do you typically take? Uh, you know, it's not a much bigger the number than that because I I don't get out enough in the off season to kill them much. So maybe maybe ten or fifteen in the off season, and then and then I yeah last year during hunting season from October till the end of December I, I killed forty. Um, I yeah it's it's a mess. I wish we didn't have them. So what happens? Uh, does that does that forty put a dent in the population at, at all, or do they rebound from that quickly? I think it just makes them more mad and they just breed faster. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, cause I think I have more this year. I, I have, I have a few herds on my cameras this year that are 30, 40 pigs strong. Wow. And and one, and one herd. Wow. Do they, uh, I mean, do you eat them or do you just shoot them and let them die? I, I eat, you know, as many as I can. And then friends of mine that, that want to keep them, you know, I'll give them to them. And then the ones that they don't want, you know, I, I'll take them to the processor and just say, hey, you know, give them away. Or there's actually a processor around here that'll, um, he'll clean them and he actually, you know, either gives it away or makes sausage and sells it in his little cafe or something, you know. Yeah. But I'll, I'll kill them and if I find them, I'll just take them to the processor. I'll make a bunch of sausage myself and then until I fill up the freezer with it, um, 
the younger the younger sows are good to eat when you kill like a big 350 pound boar those are so tough it's like eating a eating a boot yeah but uh do they have any programs for for like the less fortunate you know not like in like in kansas they have a program called i think it's called hush maybe help us stop hunger um but in texas it's it's more of just like a processor to processor deal i don't know if there's an official program that i've seen most of the processors that i deal with are are so podunk i that they wouldn't know about it anyways but they do give it away there's people that they know that would take deer meat or, or take hog meat um another big business around here with the hogs is is dog chasers they'll catch them live and take them to the butcher shops that um then they'll take that meat and sell it up north um in the northeastern part of the state and uh and actually i guess in restaurants up there they call it a delicacy and sell it for a bunch of money huh in, in, Tex- yeah. in Texas, are you allowed to sell wild game? The wild hogs aren't regulated. Now, deer, you cannot. Um, but but the wild hogs, there's no season. There's no limit. There's no regulation whatsoever on pigs, to my knowledge. Okay. I know there's no regulation on when you can kill them and hunt them. And the, processor that I, the processors that I know, they'll, you know, they'll sell it. Um, I don't think there's any regulation on it at all. Because the state doesn't want them either, right? So you know right. nobody wants them. So there's there's no laws as far as I know with pigs. Okay. So question from a from a habitat standpoint, as as someone who owns or leases ground, how important is it to maintain a grip on your hog population? It's it's really important. Everybody that I know that leases ground around here, in the timber business, like I am, we own quite a bit of property and we lease out 95 percent of our property about five percent of it i hunt myself the other 95 percent we lease it out and they're all very most of them run traps year round for the pigs um and they'll you know trap them and they'll go check their traps once a week um because if you have a bunch of pigs the deer will just they'll just leave that property um and you know they'll go to a neighboring property that that manages the pigs better so it's a yeah, it's it's an important deal here, um, and it's a problem. And it's I think it's getting that way all over Texas too, and then Louisiana and the rest of the Southeast too. It's they're everywhere now. Right, right, and man, they're creeping up too. Because obviously, uh, I think Arkansas has them. I think, uh, uh-huh. I think Oklahoma they, has them. Oklahoma has them. Um, mm-hmm. Man, I I want to I, I even want to say they've been spotted in southern Missouri. Now that's creeping up they're pretty high yeah oh yeah so where i hunt in kansas is just across the kansas border from oklahoma and the wildlife management area there had some spotted in southern kansas and from what i understand since farming is everybody's life in kansas the co-op there raised a bunch of money and eradicated them so i think when it's when the hogs start to get into these areas where farming is everything Right. The the farmers the farmers will figure out how to get rid of them, but around here, you know, they're not hurting my pine plantations. You know, they're not hurting my they're not hurting my bank. You know, my wallet. So there's really no financial reason to get rid of them. Uh, but yeah, in southern Kansas, I'm pretty sure there was a co-op of farmers down there that raised money and pretty much eradicated them, and uh, they don't have them there anymore. Um, and that little southern, I mean, it's central southern Kansas, right on the Oklahoma border where I hunt. 
and uh, I don't think they have them there anymore. Gotcha. All right. Damn hogs anyway, huh? Yeah, really. All right. So now let's talk about some deer because, yeah. you know, when you reached out to me uh, via Facebook, you said, you know, you said, man, I hunt on the east side of the state of Texas. I hunt on the west side of the state as well. And there are, you know, the, the difference in terrain is huge. So for those who have never heard anybody on the podcast talk about Texas before, why don't you give us a rundown on a state level of all the differences in terrain? Yeah, so the, the eastern part of the state where I live is, is all timber. So I want to say maybe like the eastern, it's probably just the east eighth of the state because Texas is so big. It might be an eighth of the state. It's all timber. So for people that live in Louisiana, uh, Mississippi, uh, Georgia, you know, the Carolinas, it's probably really, really similar to that. Um, East Texas is extremely flat in most places. It's real flat. There's not any topography. So you just have these, and it's mostly all managed by timber companies um, like myself. So you've got mostly just big, flat uh, pine plantations with, you know, with drains and streams running through them. Um, and then the further you go west, right when you start getting close to Dallas, it starts to transition into this more farm-type country. And there's areas in central Texas that that look a lot like the Midwest. You know, you've got rolling hills, you've got farm country, you've got cattle, and then you've got you know creek drainages that that run through all that. So it's really similar to the Midwest in some of that area in central Texas. But then it quickly transitioned in, into like the hill country area to where there's not much crop at all. And then in South Texas, it's brush country. It's flat and it's brush country. And that's what most people think of in Texas because that's where all the big deer are is in the southern, the southern probably third of the state, south central Texas. You've got what they call the Golden Triangle down there south of San Antonio and Kingsville, Texas, like the King Ranch. I'm sure you've heard of that. Yep, I've heard that. Um, down there. It's just brush country. And when I say brush country, if you don't clean out a space to see, you're not going to see. It's just a wall of brush. So it's fantastic deer habitat. That's why their deer can get so big. Um, And then once you get past that kind of central, central west part of Texas, then it goes into just western Texas is completely desolate. It's uh, Midland, Odessa. It's pump jacks, you know, oil wells. And uh, that's pretty much the rest of the state. The western, far western part of the state doesn't have great hunting. Um, it's more desert um, type stuff, and the hunting, from what I know, isn't that great out there. So there's all kinds of different, you know, terrains in Texas. It's the southern part, the brush country, gets all the, you know, gets all the publicity because that's where all the booners come out and they kill all those giant deer down there. Uh, but it, there's a lot of different kind of hunting you can do in Texas. Like I say, it's a as a deer hunter goes with the liberal seasons um, and the liberal bag limits. It's a great, great state for deer hunting, obviously. Right. So remind us again, as far as Texas is concerned, as a resident, what? How does your tag system work? How many deer can you kill? So it, it depends on what county you're in. So Texas doesn't. They have regions, but mostly bag limits are are by county. So a lot of the east counties where i live where the deer density is a little lower you can kill one uh one buck with like a 13 inch greater spread 
they they put that in about maybe 10 years ago now and then some counties like one county that i hunted you can't kill any does except for like two days in november you can't kill any does and then there's some counties that have a much higher density and you can kill a couple does but so say i kill a buck in my home county and uh and then i go out to west texas well i have another buck tag and then i have three antlerless tags or i could just go out there and shoot four does if i wanted to um or i could save all five of my tags and go out to west texas where the uh, or central texas where the population's better and you can kill two bucks and three does if if you want to so it all depends on what county you're in and what region you're in but overall you get five tags and you can jump from county to county and uh you know put your tags together and and fill your bag limit of five deer okay so the total is five deer a year is that period or is that uh based off weapon that's that's period yeah that's period that's all season combined so texas um Usually both season opens October 1st to 31st. Um, and then the, well, the rifle season always opens the first Saturday of November. Gotcha. So whenever that is. And then it, that rifle season runs till the, usually either the last, the last Saturday or Sunday of December. And sometimes it rolls into January a little bit. Um, so it's, uh, we have a long rifle season. So like if I want to kill a mature, mature deer in East Texas, I need to get it done in October before all the four wheelers hit the ground, you know, when rifle season opens. Um, Cause it's a national holiday down here. Like I'm sure like in uh like in Iowa, you know, that first day of shotgun season gets pretty wild. It's yeah. like that down here, but with, uh, but with, you know, 300 magnums shooting down pipelines, 300 yards. So it, uh, it, it really i'm jealous of the midwest with their shorter rifle seasons if we had that i think the deer hunt would be uh much better for a bow hunter in texas right absolutely what's the uh what's the hunting culture like in texas and the reason i ask this question is because when i think of texas i think of gigantic like managed private operations that are either outfitting or leasing for large amounts of money. And it's, it's one of those pay to play States where in order to hunt deer, yeah, there's probably some public land you could go and hunt, but if you want to have good deer hunting, you got to either pay an outfitter or, or lease a property. Yeah. So in the, in the prime areas of the state, if you want to, you know, if you want to go to South Texas and hunt on one of those big managed ranches, it, you are going to have to pay a bunch of money. Um, and, and, you know, there's people that do that, but it's, it's gotten to where that stuff down there is, is mostly, you know, television type stuff. And then you get these big oil um, executives and these oil companies will actually buy these big leases and they'll, they'll take people out on them. It's, uh, kind of almost a, a business type feel down there in that part of the state. I had a friend who worked at the King Ranch, and you know, uh, I think every year Michael Waldell would come down there, and uh, like Stan Potts would come to their place and, and stuff like that at the King Ranch. Um, but the rest of the state isn't really that way. Uh, like in eastern Texas, you can, you know, our leases are, are $10 an acre. 
and most of our stuff, you know, 50, 100, 150 acres, you know, blocks in East Texas that you can have all to yourself for a reasonable, you know, you know, five, you know, 50 acres, $500 a year, and you have it all to yourself. Um, it's a, it's, it's pretty affordable in this part of the state. And then the rest of it is depending on how close you are to like a, a metropolitan area. Um, if you're close to DFW, Dallas, Fort Worth, and like Houston or San Antonio, the lease costs are pretty high, especially around Austin. The lease costs are high, but if you're willing to drive out into the middle of nowhere, you can get some pretty some pretty cheap leases in Central Texas. Um, so it, it definitely is permission doesn't exist here. Like just uh, yeah, you can go hunt. Um, that that's not a thing in Texas that I that I've ever ran into. Yeah, um, you know it's it's just not going to happen because um, everybody wants to hunt, and that kind of goes into the culture. Is if you own land, you either hunt it, or like me, we have land that that we lease out. Um, but if you're not hunting that land, somebody's leasing it to hunt it. Right. Um, so it's a little bit of a pay-to-play deal, but there's more affordable areas in the state. Um, and I think Texas is one of the lowest percentages of public land in the in the country. I'm yeah. not sure what the percentage is, but it's really low. And uh, there's public lands to hunt. Um, I hunt some in here in eastern Texas that are actually pretty good um, because there's a uh, there's like an earn a buck program right. and one of them around here. It's a big national wildlife refuge, and uh, it's bow only except for a couple of draw hunts, and then they do like some handicap and some military hunts and stuff. Um, and it's actually pretty good hunting. It's like ten thousand acres of of managed you know national national forest land um but outside of that there's not a whole lot of public land around here that's great um hunting uh but there's a lot of people that that are really serious bow hunters that get it done on public land in texas every year um so it it's it's option it's it's out there you could do it but texas i want to say has one of the deepest rudest cultures i mean everybody hunts or everybody knows somebody that hunts uh if, if they don't hunt now they probably grew up hunting with their dad um, it's it's a big deal down here, right? So is it is it one of those things where, I mean, when opening day of rifle season, the family gets together and they all go to the to the hunting property or the lease or whatever and have an entire week or weekend of of hunting. Yeah, I know a lot of people that they have their you know their deer camp every year still, and and I have a friend that you know will opening weekend we'll always go hunting together in the same stand. It's kind of a tradition. We'll go sit in this, this same stand on opening day. You know, it's a, it's really traditional stuff. People have camps and they'll all get together and, you know, then come back and grill up some burgers and talk about what they saw that day. You know, that kind of stuff, kind of the traditional deer camp stuff that you hear. So yeah, that's, it's a pretty good tradition here that, that mainly that opening weekend, um, but now that the rifle season is, is so long, it's not as much. Um, back in the when my dad first moved here in the 70s, rifle season was short. And uh, he said for those two weeks of rifle season, you know, this part of the state shut down. I mean, like stores closed. You know, you, you couldn't go to the local local grocery store because they had a sign that said gone hunting, you know. Yeah. Uh, but now that the rifle season is so long, it's six days. Um, you know, people can pick and choose when they hunt. So it's not as big of a deal when you hunt because it's such a long season. Right. Now, with your, you know, with your career, 
that you're in. And you said that you you own a lot of property, but lease a lot of it out to individuals. Mm-hmm. Now, the the side of me that wants to know is, are you keeping the best spots for yourself, or are you leasing those out? Yeah, uh, I keep a couple of the better ones that are close to where I live. Um, there's there's some properties that we own that are better than the ones that I hunt, but they're, you know, hour, hour and a half away. Um, the properties that I have here in East Texas that I hunt are ones that I want to be able to get to really quickly. You know, a quick hunt after work, you know, 3.30, I'm done with work. I've got my stuff in the back of the truck. I, I go hop in the stand. Um, but, yeah, I, I keep some of the better ones. But we have a big property that's about an hour and a half away where they kill some giant deer every year. And I keep threatening them every year. I'm saying, you know, I, I might start hunting that place, but I never do. They, <laughs> they've been hunting it for 15 years now, I think. And, you know, they kill, um, they do a good job. It's 250 acres and they kill 140, 150 inch deer pretty regularly on that place. Gotcha. Um, but that's about it. They, they take it really seriously on that place. So the, the size is here. Um, and the good thing about 140 inch deer where we live is uh, it looks like a 180 inch deer. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Because they, you know, a mature buck here probably weighs 170, 180 pounds. I've I've never killed one in East Texas that that hit 200 pounds. Um, so they they look a lot bigger than they are, wow. which is good. Good yeah. for pic- Good for pictures. That's right. That's right. Hey, you got one thing going for you. Um, yeah, it's good for pictures. That's right. So here's kind of a a point of view that we've never really had on the podcast before. And that is someone who owns land and is leasing it out to hunters. Right. So number one, how do people find you or how do you go about advertising that land for, for lease? So it's kind of known around here that if you're, if you're a timber company that you have land, so I get calls. It might be one a month, two a month. Um, hey, I, you know, I was on the internet. I saw the yard timber company. Do you own any land? Um, and I have a waiting list. You know, probably a fifteen people waiting for people to drop their leases. Um, so you really don't have to advertise them because people are always actively seeking out places to hunt. Um, so it's really easy to do. I mean, I've never had to to run ads or anything they just call me because they know we're a timber company and that we probably have land they can hunt and uh, most of the time unfortunately i have to tell them that it's all leased out and i uh you know i'll put them on my waiting list and you know try to help them out if something comes up so what we do is every august we send letters out to all of our our leaseholders and say you know you have till you know september 1st to reply and renew your lease if you don't, then we put it on the market on our waiting list. Um, and if, if somebody doesn't reply, you know, we'll try to reach out to them towards the end of the month. And if, if we don't hear from them and if we don't get our, our money from them, uh, we'll start going through our waiting list. Um, so I don't think there's ever been a point in time where we haven't leased anything out ever. Um, I, if we want to lease it out, we, we can. Nice. So, so it's definitely a leaser's market down there. I mean, it's definitely a leaser's market. Um, and unless you want too much, like, you know, some of these places that have, uh, 
you know, a reputation for big deer. And uh, around here, if you still have a eastern turkey population, it's a big deal. So if, if you have trail cameras, pictures of the eastern turkey population, um, they can get a whole lot more for the lease. But sometimes landowners get a little greedy. Um, but, you know, we we really, you know, we just kind of want to pay for the property taxes. And, and that's really all that we tried to get out of it, you know. If gotcha. we're not trying to make a bunch of money off of hunting leases, um, and the main the main deal that I like about the hunting leases is you got people out there keeping an eye on your property, right? You know, and I don't, you know, I don't drive around all these places all the time to make sure that somebody's not trespassing or you know somebody hadn't stolen our timber, you know, which is a thing around here, unfortunately. Um, so you know, you just have people on your property, you know, taking care of it for you, um, and people do take good care of it. You know, they'll you know, keep your gates up and, you know, that kind of stuff. But yeah, it's definitely a leaser's market. Yeah. So, um, how do you go about, do you make them sign a contract, uh, that says, you know, here are, here are the rules and regulations, or is it just, Hey man, uh, there's a lease that, uh, you know, you you can hunt on this property for one whole year. Or are there like this, like big guidelines that you can't shoot any animal this size or that has to be done this way or anything like that? There's no regulations as far as um, outside of, you know, there's that you'll follow the state laws. Uh, there's there's no regulations. Uh, all of our leases are just for a year. Um, and because usually people don't want to pay for more than a year. Um and all the other stuff in there is a whole bunch of legal jargon about liability. You know, yeah. if you accidentally shoot yourself in the foot, it's not our fault, you know? Right. Um, but yeah, it's just a, we have a, it's just a one page front and back little simple lease agreement. Um, and it's, there's, we don't regulate what people, if, if he wants, if a guy wants to go out there and, you know, shoot a barely legal buck every year, and take his couple does every year and he's happy with that we don't care we don't try to manage all the properties and manage all the deer um it's really not really that important to us so uh, and we don't restrict them on anything they go out there as much as they want to whenever they could put up campers they can you know we've got one guy he he built a small cabin on the place it's a little portable cabin you know um and he's he's never planning on leaving so we were fine with it you know yep Absolutely. So have you ever had to, I don't know, kick somebody out because they weren't respectful of your property? Um, we, we had an issue once where there was a guy that was hunting other people's stands and, uh, they had said that he had stolen some, some feeder timers out of their, you know, their deer feeders. Um, and it was an issue we had, um, and you know, I, I think that it would say you can't have the lease this year. You know, there's too many complaints about you. Um, but I've never had any issues, you know, where, where somebody's making a mess or, you know, cause we'll go and take inventory on our timber from time to time and they keep them up real nice. The majority of the time people are just grateful to have a place, place to hunt, you know, cause, right. um, I think there's a lot more hunters than there is land, especially in this part of in this part of the state. I think there's a lot more people that hunt than there is available, right. you know, land. So they're they're pretty grateful just to have a place to hunt. Gotcha. So, um, 
so it's kind of word of mouth, right? I mean, so people call you if they're looking for a place to hunt. Um, and when they find a place to hunt and they're able to, uh, I guess, use your services and lease your land, how uh-huh. long do some of these people stick around? I mean, the lease is one year long every year, but how long have some of your clients been been with you? I think there's there's one guy that's leased property from from us for close to 20 years now. He's been on two different properties. Um, he been he was waiting every year for a certain piece to come up because it, he knew that it had better deer, and when it came available, he switched. Um, and it's him and I think one of his friends. Um, and he actually worked for us. He he worked on one of my logging crews for a long time, and um, he he's been with us leasing land for close to 20 years. He sends me trail camera pictures all the time, and when he kills something big, he'll send me a picture of it. Uh, he even like called me once, you know, say, "Hey, I killed my buck this year. You want to come hunt it? You know, we both killed our bucks. If you want to come hunt, you can." And I didn't just, you know, I knew he was just being nice, but out of respect, I didn't. They managed the property pretty well, uh, but I think he's the longest, close to 20 years. Um, the, we've had some for five to 10 years, but a lot of the time you get people that hunt for one year and they disappear and then we just lease it out to somebody else we roll them over um primarily because some of the properties just don't have that great hunting great of hunting um so they roll over quite a bit gotcha so what about increasing prices because i've talked to some guys in the past who either they sign a they sign a lease and the lease is Okay, it's X dollar X number of dollars a year, and then it goes up X amount every year that you continue to do it. Um, how do you guys handle rate increases on uh, your leases? I think that we might, unfortunately, we might be one of the few that that don't really do it much. Um, for the longest time, we were cheaper than we are now, uh, but we've had some some property tax increases. Um, so basically, ours kind of just go up with property taxes and inflation. Um, it, it's not a, it's not huge increases because we could probably charge a whole lot more than we do, but then it'd be a whole lot more difficult to keep people to stay with us. Right. Um, it, we really just don't want to have to worry about it that much because I think it's uh, Forrester that works for me handles it, and um, you know, it's I think it's close to thirty properties, and if if we raised our prices and lost people, it might just become a hassle. So we just try to keep that price where people were just happy enough about it. And, uh, you know, we're paying our property taxes and we don't have to worry about it. And it's, it's just a good deal for, for both ends, but there are timber companies, um, and, and some big landowners around here that have clubs, you know, big clubs. Um, one in particular that I live close to, that's about a 4,000 acre club and they're extremely stringent. Um, now they kill big deer and their prices are, are pretty high. Um, but you know, that place is, is a lot different. And I think there's a lot of people I've listened to some podcasts that talk about like the timber company, you know, hunting clubs, and that's around here too. Um, there's land that used to be owned by a company called international paper, but now it's owned by a couple like private real estate investment trusts. And uh, they have massive clubs, you know, five, 6,000 acres with 30 members on them. And, you know, they have to sign up for their stands and, you know, they can only shoot a Pope and Young buck, 
you know, it has to be one that they pick out on their trail cameras. And, you know, if, if you shoot one that they didn't pick out, you know, they've got clauses where they can just boot you off, you know? Wow. Um, so it, that's, that is out there. Um, but it's not everything there. There's other options available to the people that want to hunt in Texas. It's not just these big clubs, all these rules and, and, you know, outfitters and, and stuff like that. There's, there's cheaper options that are available for sure. Right. Right. So you don't always hunt in Texas, right? You make a couple of trips outside of, um, Texas every year. Uh, you mentioned yep. Oklahoma and Kansas, right? Yes. I have a, a, uh, a lease that's mainly a duck hunting lease, um, for when deer season's over, I duck hunt in January in Southern Oklahoma and I do deer hunt it. And actually last year is my first year to deer hunt it. Um, that's in Southern Oklahoma and there's some public land in Southern Oklahoma that has some decent deer hunting as well. And then this will be my fourth year to go to, uh, Southeastern Kansas. And, uh, that, that is the, like if I were to allot the amount of time that I spend, like looking at maps and, you know, thinking about deer hunting, 90% of it, I'm thinking about Kansas. Like that's, that's where my thought is. I'm, you know, everything rolls into that just because of the quality of the hunting up there. Public land in Kansas is better than, you know, the best private land in East Texas, you know, any day, in my opinion, Uh, you know, it's pretty wild how much, how much different it is in Kansas compared to, compared to Texas. So yeah, Kansas is where I spend the majority of my mind power. Gotcha. So you're saying that from a quality of deer standpoint, Kansas is better. Yeah. Yeah. Quality of deer standpoint, just the, the size, the age class primarily, um, in Kansas is just so much better than around here. Um, you know, one, because of the, the rifle season isn't in the rut in Kansas and in, you know, down here in Texas, you can sit on a pipeline and see 500 yards in the middle of the rut and you're going to see every buck in that County. And, you know, deer just don't make it past three and a half around here very often. Yeah. Uh, but in Kansas, you know, it's like most of the Midwest with the short rifle seasons and rifle seasons that are outside of the rut, you know, these deer can run, run ragged in November when the rut's on and not get, you know, beat down by rifle hunters. I think that's the main difference. The age class is just so much better in right. Kansas. And, and from what I understand, the rest of the Midwest, Kansas is the only state that I've dipped into in the Midwest, but plan on doing others. Right. Yeah. I've always wanted to go hunt uh, Kansas as well. I don't know. At, you know, it, it's, is it a preference point state now for non-residents? Uh, no. No, it's a it's a draw state, and most I'd say half of the units you can draw every year. If you get on their website and you look at like draw statistics, uh, there's a couple units in the eastern part of the state where there's a good chance that you won't get drew. And actually, what happened to me uh, the first year uh, I put in and didn't get drew for the the most southernmost eastern unit. And I just had to buy a leftover tag farther west. Um, and I was like, man, you know, I don't think that this part of the state is supposed to be good, you know. Right. Um, it's not the part of the state that gets more publicity. Um, so I bought this leftover tag in a different unit. And uh, I've been applying in that unit ever since. 
because it's it's 100% you're going to get Drew in that unit every year. And there's even leftover tags in, in some units every year. Um, so it, it's a draw state, but if you want to hunt in Kansas, you can. Um, they went up this year on their price again, and I bet you they do it again. Uh, they're, they're getting close to Iowa yeah. when it's all said and done. Um, I think between license and tag, it's close to $600 now. Whoa. Um, which is... Yeah, between like because their their license is one twenty, and then the tag this year was a little over, little over four hundred, and then you got convenience fees and taxes. So yeah. it's 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 getting up there, and and they could go higher, I think. Yeah. Um, you know, and they might. Who knows? Right. But I would definitely recommend it. It's a it's a different kind of hunting. The main reason I wanted to go to Kansas, outside of the fact that there's big bucks is I wanted to hunt somewhere where I could just see across these big, vast, you know, open plains and see deer. Cause in Eastern Texas, you don't see a deer till it's in bow range. You know, it's, you don't see it till it's 20 yards away from you and you shoot it. And that's, that's the hunting in, in Eastern Texas. Um, unless you're rifle hunting on big pipeline right away. Um, you know, so I went to Kansas and I could set up on the edge of a CRP field and I could just see deer all day. Yeah. And it was just, it just blew my mind. It, it, so then when you go to, when you make those trips to Kansas, I mean, you said the quality of deer is, is better than Texas any day. However, what are your expectations when you do make those trips to Kansas? Yeah. So, you know, I've, I've had three hunts up there and I ate tag soup twice. Um, the first season was just because i really didn't know what i was doing um you know i was up there with just it's really embarrassing the equipment that i was hauling around this public lands in kansas to climb these trees um i really didn't know what i was doing and i you know i was hoping for pope and young a three or four year old or older you know 135 inch deer or bigger and uh the second year um i had the opportunity and uh i i blew the shot on a really really good 10 point probably a 155 inch 10 point the second year um had bad dreams about that and then last season um with the same expectations i killed a you know he's either a three or four year old 135 140 inch 10 point so i finally got it done last season um and it's it's been a roller coaster of just figuring out how to get on these deer in these open spaces um like that and it's uh it's been fun but yeah I'm definitely not going to go to Kansas and shoot a two-year-old dink. You know, I, I'd rather eat tag soup than, than shoot a immature deer. Right. So are you still bouncing around in Kansas, or have you found a location uh, in the state that you're just you're going to try to refine at this point? Season, and it'll be my third season on these two properties. Um uh, last year I bounced around a little bit, you know, just because I have the itch to look at new places. I love to go out and just scout a new place and try to figure it out. Um, but as, as y'all talk about with on the wired to hunt podcast too, y'all talk about the, the kids and stuff getting into it. We had our first kid last year. So my time is a little less. So I figured I'm just going to focus on this one property this year that I already know pretty well. 
and uh, I'm pretty confident that I could go up there and get on a buck in probably a seven, six, you know, six, seven day hunt instead of these 10 and 14 day hunts that I've been doing in the past years. Right. Right. So, you know, how much time do you spend in Oklahoma or is, is Oklahoma kind of secondary to Kansas? Oklahoma is secondary to Kansas. And what's great about Oklahoma, um, they're mostly January. When my test season was over, I had two more weeks of Oklahoma hunting and, uh, it was, you know, it's bitter cold and Southern Oklahoma is a lot of cornfields and, and, you know, ag type stuff on the red river there. Um, so it's, it's like that late season style of hunting where you can get on a, a, if you can find a buck on a late season feeding pattern, they're pretty, pretty killable. I almost got on one last year. Um, but I probably won't hunt Oklahoma until that last, the, the world, the first two weeks of January because their season goes a little longer. So it just extends my season. That's why I started hunting Oklahoma because I get an extra 15 days of, of bow hunting. Got ya. Got ya. So now we've talked about Texas, right? You, you talk a little bit about Kansas and Oklahoma. How are you approaching this upcoming season and what are your expectations for each state? So in Texas, I have this one property that I've been hunting since I was little. Uh, you know, I killed my first buck there when I was eight. Um, so, and I've been hunting it, I guess that's 18 years now. Um, and I, I have a, I have a buck there uh, that I've named Waldo, as in where's Waldo. Um, and he is going to be seven or eight this year. Um, I have probably close to 300 or 400 pictures of this deer um, and never seen him. Um, and out of those 300 pictures, I think maybe three of them are daylight. Um, so in Texas, it's pretty much, I'm going to try to kill that deer again. And if I don't kill him, then, then that's fine. Um, right. cause I have the Oklahoma and the Kansas hunts. Um, we have some property out in Western, more central Western Texas. And if I go out there, it's more of a camaraderie style hunt with my family and, you know, and I'll rifle hunt and, you know, we have good bucks out there. You know, we, we have these wheat fields where you can see 150 deer in one night. It's just out of this world. So I'll go out there and I might shoot a buck out there and it, but it's more of like a camaraderie event, you know, just with my family. Um, so I might do that, but in Eastern Texas, it's Waldo or, or bust. Um, in Oklahoma, you know, it's just those last two weeks, the mainly my, you know, if I can get on a good buck, um, there's one buck up and I actually found one of his sheds and, uh, he's a, you know, he's a 140 inch eight point and I'd love to, I'd love to take him. Um, but I would shoot another mature deer if, if he showed up there. Um, and then Kansas, the property that I'm hunting up there is, is really 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 good and um i you know i'd like to say that i want to raise my expectations because i've seen i've seen some deer and, and had some deer on camera on one of my videos that's on my on my channel there's a big double drop tie and eight point that i got on camera on film last year and then the year before when i wasn't filming my hunts there was a typical 11 point that I'm going to say might've scored 185. Um, that was just out of this world. So the, 
I'm not going to say that that's what I'm holding out for, but that's what I'm looking for up there because it's there. And I'm, you know, I, I'm not going to go up there and, and not try to shoot one of those deer. So if I'm probably going to regret it, but if a, just a 135 inch buck walks by on the first day, I'm probably going to pass it waiting on one of those bigger ones this year, just cause I got the monkey off my back last year, killed a good buck. I want to try to go after one of those, those super mega giants up there this year, just to, just to challenge myself a little bit. Yeah. Sounds like, uh, you got a plan, man. Yeah. And that property in Kansas is one. Um, and like I did last year, uh, I had this stand that was kind of on the edge of a bedding area, um, overlooking a big overgrown CRP field, um, on this public land and the deer were coming off of private because uh, it's the public is really thick and the private has cattle and farm fields there's not a lot of places to bed and i was seeing this buck do this same thing with this group of does um two days in a row and they're going right through the middle of the crp field um and i've always been you know i'm bow hunting i need to be in a tree you know um but last year i finally just you know sucked it up and said i'm just going to go out in the middle of this CRP field with a decoy and see if I can get him to come in. And uh, I, I think I got lucky and just caught him at the right time and saw him come in, snorted, snort wheezed, you know, grunted at him, and he came over to that decoy like he was going to tear it up. Um, and that just really opened my horizons to Kansas. Um, so this year my plan is I'm going to do that observation sitting, and if I see a good buck doing that same kind of deal out in these CR- crp fields i'm gonna you know go right at him you know i'm gonna get out there in the middle decoys you know whatever it takes um you know they those deer in kansas they'll just go right through the middle of a crp field and they'll lay down by a lone cedar bush in the middle of a C- crp field you know they may never go by a tree that you can have a stand in um but so that's my plan this year is observe and then pinpoint in on them Awesome. Well, Graham Van Dusen, man, uh, let me be the first to wish you luck for this upcoming season. Uh, Thanks for taking time to hop on the podcast today, man. Yeah, no problem, man. I appreciate it. And I look forward to to listening to more of your stuff. I've always enjoyed y'all's podcasts. And on my way to Kansas every year, I think I absorb about seven hours of podcasts. (laughs) So it's, uh, I I enjoy y'all putting out the good information for us. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Huge shout out to Graham Van Dusen for hopping on the podcast and chatting with us today. Huge shout out to all of you for taking time out of your busy schedule to download and listen to this podcast. If you get the opportunity, please check us out on social media, not only on the Sportsman's Nation uh, for Instagram and Facebook, but for the Nine Fingers as well. So Nine Finger Chronicles, Instagram and Facebook, follow along. Uh, I'll, you know, on my elk trip, I'll be posting and sharing as much as I possibly can if I have the service to do so. So, uh, you know, keep a keep an eye out on that. Uh, be sure to check out all the podcasts on the Sportsman's Nation, and 
right. I think that's it. I'm just going to keep it short. Hopefully, everybody has a great week. Um, huge shout out to all the partners of this particular podcast Exodus, Trail Cameras, Wasp, Broadheads, Lone Wolf Tree Stands, Deer Lab, Prime Archery, Ripcord Arrow Rests, Ozonic Scent Elimination, and Hunter Safety Systems. Guys, please go out and support those companies because they support this podcast. That's it. Have a good rest of your Monday. Have a good rest of your week. And if you're going to be in a tree, our friends at Hunter Safety Systems are reminding us all, wear your damn safety harness. Thank you.